It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Conversations on the Coast, San Francisco's premier author interview program. And today we have an old friend of Conversations on the Coast joining us, the wonderful, incredible Sister Helen Prejean. She has written a new book called The Death of Innocence, an eyewitness account of wrongful executions, published by Random House, the same folks who had the good sense to publish Dead Man Walking. And yes. made a few bucks on that one. <laughs> Twelve years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we first met, when that book first came out. And uh, it, it seems like only yesterday. Welcome. Yeah, no, it, it truly it does seem like yesterday, because yeah. I've just been, it's made me so busy, you know. And uh, But, you know, The Dead Man Walking came out in 93, and here's a Catholic nun and a book on the death penalty, and people were not exactly rushing to the bookstores to get it, <laughs> except around the Seattle area because it rains a lot, and they got to read because they're, they're going nuts. But anyway, but then Susan Sarandon read the book, called me up. We had dinner together, and then she stayed on Tim Robbins' case for nine months until he finally read the book. Hmm. And then the movie, the film Dead Man Walking, was and born. And the explosion. Yeah. Followed, followed by the opera. To, to which I invited a, a group from Old St. Mary's Church, my, oh, yeah. my, my friends. And uh, I. Year 2000, right yep, in, in San Francisco. 2000. Uh-huh. Debuted here in mm. San Francisco. I spent the last half crying. Yeah. And one of my friends at the end said, Jim, thanks for inviting me, but next time make it an opera with a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of those operas don't have laughs. No, that's but true. But now, you know, the opera's going all over the world. It's, Is it uh, now? Yeah. yeah. That's what I was wondering it, what it had It's been happened. in, uh, went to uh, Orange County, would mm-hmm. you believe? Austin, Texas. Yes, I remember seeing that in the paper. Yeah. Going to Texas. And, uh, but it'll be in Baltimore next year and then it's going to be also in Calgary and then it opens in Dresden, Germany and mm. Vienna and so it's got legs it's going Have you seen the staging in any of the other cities because the staging yeah, here I, I, I thought was just totally powerful and, and very apt It was and you know few people could reproduce it because the stage in, at San Francisco Opera is as big as the city block <laughs> so they had to build a new set or it would have cost them a million dollars just to transport the set, but none of them had stages big enough, so they had to adjust it, and they did a new set. Uh, it was a new production, and uh, but it was very, very moving. And uh, hmm. and in Texas, you know, there was the uh, former governor. What was his name? White, um, who <laughs> was the first to preside at executions in uh, Texas. Ah, yes, yes. And I wasn't sitting near him, but but people who were sitting near him. Uh, see, it brings him close to what he does because, you know, people have removed themselves from this process. Governors have the power. But right. that at the end of the opera, he was standing and tears streaming down his cheeks oh and standing up and applauding because mm. it brings you right into it. You know, if we don't start talking about the death of innocence, Jason Epstein is going to call us. And <laughs> my editor, my good, good editor. And, and talk to us very angrily. Uh, we had uh, a murder 
uh, in California this week. A man was executed, a, a man by the name of uh, Donald Beardsley. And the difference between Donald Beardsley and the people that you talk about in, in, in this book is that the two men you talk about in this book were innocent. Yes. And the reader will be like the first jury to hear all the facts that they ever had. And one of the things I deal with in this book is we have a structural problem in the application of the death penalty because often poor people are the ones selected for the death penalty, and they get poor defense. You have poor defense. You don't have truth coming out at trial because you have to have a full adversarial system of getting to truth. And so you have prosecution presenting, like Dobie, Dobie Gillis-Williams. His defense was so terrible, the guy was later disbarred. Let an all-white jury be seated. Dobie was accused and convicted of supposedly killing a white woman in her bathroom in this little town of Manny, Louisiana. Huge race thing in this little town. Yeah. And an all-white jury. And here's Dobie, an African-American man with an IQ of 65. And you see what happens to him. And his defense did not conduct independent forensic testing on the bloodstain. So when the prosecution presents the most contrived scenario of a crime you ever heard, that he squeezed through a bathroom window as big as a microwave oven, nude, waits behind a door, fortuitously finds a steak knife on the back of a toilet, stabs a lady, and springs out of that little window without leaving a fingerprint or a smudge of the blood... Well, and the was, jury just, uh, yeah. So, and well, I mean, it's clear to up. me. It's clear to me. He was Superman. I yeah, mean, he, but, he jumped right off the ground and through the narrow aperture yeah. in, in the window. But the, but the thing is, because he didn't, because his defense attorney didn't get, yeah. you know, the forensic uh, yeah. evidence. When, when, when we come back, we're going to talk some more about Dobie Gillis Williams and his story. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Foster COC or send an email to Jim Foster COC at gmail.com. This is Conversations on the Coast, and we're very happy today to have with us again Sister Helen Prejean to talk about her latest book, The Death of Innocence, an eyewitness account of wrongful executions, about which a pretty fair country lawyer and writer, one Jeffrey Tubin, has this to say. Once again, Sister Helen Prejean has brought her fierce intelligence, critical eye, and moral passion to the subject of the death penalty. The Death of Innocence is also a detective story about the flawed ways of justice in America. Sister Helen's voice has never been more pained, more insistent, or more worthy of our attention. And I think the, the pain comes here at, at, at two levels. One, is, of course, is the pain you experience when you work with a person on, on, on death row. You have to have hurt to do that. But the other pain is the pain of the whole business of justice being so unequal uh, for uh, people of lesser means. Right. And the pain of victims' families, mm-hmm. uh, a very small percentage of whom are told, uh, you wait 15, 20 years and you get to sit on the front row and watch as we kill the one who killed your loved one, and that's going to heal you. Mm-hmm. But the pain in this book, it, which the reader will experience too vicariously by reading the story. See, the intimate thing about reading 
is that the one telling you the story can take you there. And so people in their own imagination and in their own hearts are going to have to go through the death of Dobie and the man afterwards, Joseph O'Dell, too. And by the time they come to that point in the book, they're going to know, oh, my God, we're killing someone who in all probability is innocent. Yeah. One of the things that happens in, in this book that's very similar to uh, Dead Man Walking is the way you write about the last the last moments uh, of people going you know into the chamber to have the stuff put in their veins and you write in the, in the case of Dobie with others who were truly guilty of terrible crimes I always experienced a wrenching tension on the one hand, abhorring their crimes against innocent victims, and on the other, feeling compassion for them and their tortuous ordeal. But Dobie, I feel only compassion for him and his family and a roaring anger at the injustice and cruelty done to him this night and over the past 14 years. I reach through the bars and touch him on the arm. Dobie, I, I do not know exactly where you'll be when you die. It's a big, big mystery, death. But I believe that you are going to be welcomed into the arms of God and that somehow you're going to be at the heart of all the loving energy that is at the heart of everything. And I'm going to call on you to help me in the struggle to end the death penalty. Will you help me, Doby? Yeah, right. I'm calling on him now. That is, that's you know, remarkable. it's part of the fire that yeah. makes me get on airplanes and come and do this. And uh, because and it's a way of standing as a faithful witness that I've witnessed this suffering and this injustice and I won't be neutral about it. I'll speak out about it. And screaming through those words is the belief that this person who in this case is innocent has, is a person of dignity, a person of worth. Yes. Even, even though even though the system says that ain't the case. That's right. Yeah. That's <sighs> what the death penalty does. It says this human being is disposable human waste. And that's not only not good for them, but it's not good for us, too. We will finish up on Adobe and then get into the case of Joseph O'Dell, the man who decided his best course was to be his own attorney. More about that when we come back. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Foster COC or send an email to Jim Foster COC at gmail.com. This is Conversations on the Coast. This is Jim Foster. And uh, listen to what uh, George H. Ryan, the former governor of the state of Illinois, a real hero in my, yeah, in my mind. It's quite a journey he yeah. went on. The death of innocence points out the flaws of the system that exist not only in Louisiana, Texas, and Virginia, but in all death penalty states. Abolition will be a reality someday, thanks to the efforts and works of Sister Helen Prejean and George Ryan. Yes, yes. Yeah. Is anybody kind of approaching his, his stance at really going in and cleaning out death row? Uh, at that level? No, but, you know, there are movements in several states. In New Mexico, 65% of the uh, citizens there are saying that with life without parole, they prefer that uh, and restitution 
to victims instead of the death penalty. New Jersey has questions. Even New York. Look what happened in New York. Mm. Uh, George Pataki, who ran for governor there, good Catholic guy he's supposed to be, uh, almost made me wreck the community car. I heard him on the radio when he was campaigning saying that people in New York needed the death penalty would deter crime. Deter hmm. crime. Yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, and so he wins, and they put it in. And now, nine years later, the state spent $170 million. They had four people on death row, which I just call political trophies. It's not about crime. It's just about yeah. politicians doing this. And their own state Supreme Court found the statute unconstitutional. They're back to square one. Hmm. Now, one of the interesting things, fascinating thing, and, and the Joseph o, the Joseph O'Neill case. Odell. Odell, I'm sorry, has most fascinating details to it. And Indeed it, it, it does. begins with, with his deciding that he should be his own lawyer. And reason being, here he was accused of murdering this woman, Helen Shartner, because he had been seen in a bar with her. Uh, and the lawyer that was appointed to him, he began to distrust more and more because he felt he was going and telling the prosecution everything. So he said, I'll defend myself. His lawyer is telling the prosecution. Well, I mean, you know, you have to understand when you don't have money to hire your own counsel Mm -hmm. and that person's going to be appointed by the court or you're given an indigent defender. And that's the structural flaw in our system, the whole thing. And But what's even more atrocious are the courts of the United States, because this man defended himself, who he, he himself describes it as, it was like the L.A. Rams, the prosecution, up against the high school varsity team. Yeah. And he defended himself from his cell. He'd go home after the day, get a bologna sandwich, a glass of Kool-Aid, he was given two phone calls, one legal pad, one law book, and he defended himself. And every court in this nation, the appeals courts and Supreme Court, did not find that ineffectiveness of counsel. And his case went all the way up to the Supreme Court a couple oh, yeah. of times. Yeah, and it, but there are so many, you know, I the realization I had that the courts were killing people as well as the executioners came largely through Joseph Odell. All the issues that happened at your trial where you feel your constitutional rights were violated, either due process or, you know, right to the jury and all that. When it was appealed to the state Supreme Court, the lawyers wrote one wrong word on the appeal. They wrote motion for appeal instead of petition for appeal. And the state Supreme Court of Virginia refused to look at any of his issues. And that's a double whammy. Because if they don't review the issues, then you don't have any substance for appeals in the federal court. So he was thereby denied being able to to get his appeals in federal habeas as well. So here's this man struggling for his life against all these odds. And, uh, and you know, he was part of the, the what they did against him was they put a jailhouse snitch, Steve Watson, surprise witness, who, like, clinched it for the prosecution, very dramatic, introduced. Joe didn't know he was coming, uh, didn't know how to uh, question his credibility, didn't know how to file the motions, didn't know how to, quote, court precedent. And this guy, Steve Watson, points at Joe and says, Joe, you confessed to me in your cell. You remember we were talking that night, and you said you killed Helen Shartner. And Joe said, Steve, you know I didn't say that. He said, yeah, you did. So one time he, he cried out in the court, 
You're a liar. Yeah. You're a liar. You're yeah. a liar. Yeah. Other than that, he was very self And then the drama, and then this for later, it took me five and a half years to write this book long enough for Steve Watson to contact me like a year ago. Yeah. And crying and saying, what do I do? I lied. They killed Joe. Now I've retired, and he keeps coming into my living room. I keep seeing his face. What do I do? This has been this week's Conversations on the Coast. Sister Helen Prejean. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Foster COC or send an email to Jim Foster COC at gmail.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.